Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as writer, director, sometime linguist, animal lover, co-creator of ABC TV series Lowdown, and this is Littleton, raised on TV and comic books. Humans of Twitter is their stories, in their words, in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's addition to the Humans of Twitter list, Amanda Brocci. Yay! Yay, all of the yays, Amanda. Hello, welcome. <laughs> Hi. I can't believe I stumbled over that. How appalling is that? Oh, that's okay. Amanda, in social settings, how do you introduce yourself? Uh, well, one thing, I never introduced myself as you just introduced me with my with my Twitter bio mm -hmm. yes um it's funny when it's read aloud because it's one of those things that you, you you never expect to actually hear it read out to you it's just something mm. that you see and you get an eyeful of and and move on so it's it's sort of i don't know there's something embarrassing about having it read to you um <laughs> does that mean you'll change it uh no i i, I it, maybe it'll go on the list somewhere near the bottom of a list of things <laughs> yes yeah, um, I, I, you know, just introduce myself as Amanda. I mean, these days, I think the art of introductions is a little bit of a lost art, but occasionally mm. people do, and especially in America, actually, where, where I am now, people do give formal introductions of who you are and what you do, and so give give something for the conversation to start for whoever you're being introduced to and you don't really have to say those things yourself uh, but yeah it's, it's not something that I'm you know that sits easy with me introducing myself and what I who I am via what I do and I, I I don't think it sits easily with a lot of Australians there's there's elements of that um tall poppy syndrome feeling isn't it that if people know that i do things and and it's kind of good then they might have a go at me for it well yeah it does as soon as you say yes i'm a director it's just like, really are you it sounds like you're too big for your boots really um sure. but i'll tell you how i don't like being introduced which which happened to me um i was at a so a brunch, a sort of a boozy brunch, and it was a beautiful house at a at a mutual sort of a, a friend of, mm. um, particularly of Adams, and um, there was a bunch of people all in the film industry, and the host was fantastic, and she she introduced Adam. She said, "So everybody, this is Adam Zwa. He's the um, uh, co-creator of Wilfred and star of Wilfred and Lowdown and star of Lowdown, and uh, and." This is Amanda. She's Adam's wife. Oh, and um, <laughs> it was it's one of those funny things that you and then funnily enough, she, you know, the lovely lady after a few wines at the end of the day was was bemoaning how difficult it was for women in the film industry, film and television industry, mm. um, in Australia, and <laughs> well, yeah, Gosh. yeah, I'd like to help you. <laughs> what glass ceiling? Yeah, exactly. I'll just get my husband to clean it for me. Exactly. Jeez. And you've been working in film and TV your entire professional career, haven't you? Uh, well, I, I started, I did start rather late. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
But before then, I don't think you could really describe what I was doing as any kind of career. So, yes, I suppose the answer is yes, sadly. (laughs) What was life before TV, Amanda? Um, I was... Well, I was one of those perpetual students who kept dropping out and coming back oh. and, and so it took me a very long time to finish an undergraduate degree. And also mm. I started I started in science and that wasn't a natural fit for me really. I, mm. um, I, I And so I sort of filtered through. I, mean, I did love science and I still think fondly on my microbiology and biochem classes and, and things. Mm. But... Um, but a career in science is not what would have worked for me. And I then drifted in through history and philosophy of science and gradually into the humanities and languages. And I finally found linguistics, which was, which suited me because it, it had that cross between the, um, I suppose, uh, humanity side and also, and also the science side. Yes. And so that, that was great. And, but it took me a quite, you know, it took me nearly 10 years to do my undergraduate degree really but it uh, it took me only like one year to do you know honors and third year in at once kind of thing because yes. I was just so ready to finish by the time <laughs> I found what I wanted to do <laughs> I'm Amanda get me out of this university uh, yeah yeah and then sadly I, I I got back into that university because I did do a PhD I went back after film school <laughs> and did a PhD and I and I did field work there, so I spent some time in Vanuatu. So I, I've done, um, I, I've sort of graduated and, and I'm very highly educated in a particular discipline, linguistics, and I've done work there. I've done tutoring and, and a little bit of teaching and things in linguistics. Um, but the only thing that I've been gainfully employed in is the film industry. And I was in bands and things as well. When I, you know, I was just living that very typical just doing anything and having a ball kind of for way, way too long. Rock and roll, Brochi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Were you uh, in bands? Were you the singer? Were you a, like a playing person? Both? Uh, yeah, both. I I did singing. So I did, um, I, I sang in like, for I did sort of torch songs, Cole Porter songs, and things like that. So I had bands, mm-hmm. and also Kurt Vile. I did Kurt Vile sets and and things. So um, Brecht Vile and things. So I had wow. those sorts of things going. And then I was also with other bands. I did singing. Uh, I was with Not Drowning Waving for two years, which is a band that was around in the yeah. early, early late eighties and early nineties. Yeah, and um, and did touring with them and singing and playing playing percussion even on stage and and keyboards and um, it was the time of percussion in Australian music wasn't it let's be fair off the back of big pig through the 80s oh yeah to open it up well yeah percuss- yeah percussion was one of those things that people used, yeah people used to stand to do most mm. of the time you know and it, yes it was it was fun and rhythmic and I mean I only did that for about one or one or two songs and I think I I was the I was the bodgy element that made, that made that gave it a real kind of raw kind of truth. Yes, I hear that. <laughs> Amanda, I have a theory and I'd really value your input on this. I think there are very, very few lead singers who should be let anywhere near a tambourine. <laughs> well, tambourines are dangerous inter- instruments in the wrong hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have done, I have done tambourine. I think, I think I got away with it. 
what, as someone that claimed to be keyboard slash percussion, I think that you reasonably can. I'm I'm thinking of, you know, the showy front person that goes, oh, in this song, I'm going to do something. So I'll get a, a tambourine and I'll shake that out of time. Uh, yeah. And it's always hard. It's always yeah. difficult because the lead singer thinks, I want to be involved. I want to do something. <laughs> so I'll, I'll play the tambourine. It's like somehow whenever that happens, those lead singers have the worst timekeeping ability or the worst sense of rhythm. No it's to man. true. It's true. And also um, it's because those little bell things on the side that give it the tambourine, um, to, mm-hmm. you know, stereotypical sound, they they have a little mind of their own. So you, you've you got to know how to hold that still in between in between hitting it. It's, it's, it's an art. People don't, don't appreciate what a good tambourine playing is and what a bad tambourine playing is. I, I couldn't agree with you more. But enough. I'll, I'll get it's a, it's a rant I have. Amanda, I, I am still amazed and convinced at all of this this uh, linguistics background that you have. Did you finish your PhD? Yes, I did. Doctor yeah. Brocci, if you don't mind. That's, yes, yeah, that's um, that's right. And I did it. Uh, and I say, you know, sort of a, a glib, a little glib throwaway line is that. In Australia, you, you do get asked a lot if you're Mrs. or Miss or Ms. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons that I that I wanted to get a PhD was I, I could just say that I could just say doctor <laughs> and not have to not to have to deal with that. You need to attend more boozy uh, linguistics brunches so that you can be introduced as Doctor Brochi. As Mrs. Wa. And and this is her husband Adam. <laughs> It's oh now wow. <laughs> Do you find this history that you have with language is something that has benefited you in your film TV career? Oh uh, yes, well definitely. I mean, my the PhD was a description of a language, uh, but but also its narrative, and it was actually looking at, at, at describing the grammar of the language and the narratives and narrative structure. Um, and and looking at the kind of the interface between the grammar and the yes. and narrative structures, and uh, but that sort of training as a linguist is incredibly transportable. Not not just for being able to learn languages quickly, but you, but just looking for patterns and recognizing structures. And so you know you can sit in front of a of a TV show and and have a look and quickly yes. work out the beats and the acts and so on. So it's it, it's. Very, it, it's very transportable skill that um, linguistics training. That would mean then, you know, in a writer's room, particularly a comedic writer's room, which you, I know you've sat in more than once, that could make for some interesting discussions about how, you know, this should be phrased or where we're headed or, you know, how to, to build to the punchline, yes? Well, I guess you'd think so, but I, I – um... I, I don't think I've ever kind of bought bought any of that out in in that situation because it, I think it's something that I would probably use privately and work things out mm-hmm. privately. But but to become that cerebral about about something when you're actually creating creating a show or writing a script, I I think that would kill the vibe a little bit. Just because it's comedy, or period. Um. Well, I you probably would have a little bit more leeway in a in a drama writing room to 
to start uh, talking about those sorts of things maybe. But, you know, I, don't, I probably don't have quite enough experience in writers' rooms to really, to really comment on that. But I, um, yeah, I, I tend not to do, not to sort of say those, those sorts of things, those sorts of kind of egghead things in, in those <clears throat> rooms. <laughs> Do you uh, – I know if it was me, I would absolutely use these skills to analyse uh, the way, you know, it, particularly politicians speak to us publicly uh, and those sorts of things. Do you find yourself doing that either for fun or just out of, you know, sheer morbid fascination? Yeah, I absolutely do. And um, when I went to do the PhD, I was really interested – to do that kind of sociolinguistics topic of having a look mm. at um, analysing the way people use words and and that would have been great. And I ended up, the, uh, the uh, I went to an old, my old supervisor who supervised my honours thesis and he was completely um, all about describing languages and he steered me away from those sort of pop linguistics kind of topics and into the more slightly more esoteric stuff but stuff that in fact has a much more practical application because for that um, community they had no writing system so I developed a writing system for them that there's it's a way of helping them um, possibly maintain the language because the language is endangered so it had that application but um, no I I am I just love listening to how to to debating styles because rhetoric and all that is also something that I did study dis, in discourse analysis in um, the course of my studies and um, so so there's just rhetorical structure and rhetorical analysis but there's also definitely the the loaded ways people you know the certain words that people use to load up what they're saying emotion emotional triggers and things like that to manipulate yes. people and I, I find that interesting and it does I have to kind of not get too engaged with that because I, I start to get really angry about about that this is basically the the big the better salesperson the the one that's that's using you know those kinds of triggers to manipulate people it, it ends up being the one in power that's making decisions that that is affecting everybody so that that kind of makes me really want to write long essays and publish them or something about what's happening and occasionally I do see see people do that and I find it interesting when I I'm reading um, that kind of analysis of of um, politicians' speech speeches, particularly in election cycles, as we seem to almost permanently be in in Australia, and America is full bore. Yeah, uh, in the midst of. Did you know, Amanda? There's never been a better time to be an Australian. Um, an Australian in Australia, or an Australian in the world. Oh, look. You can complete it how you like, but certainly our Prime Minister currently loves reminding us that there's never been a better time to anything. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, there is definitely, there's a, there's a, he's, he's in a definite lovely bubble there, I think. I mean, I, it's very, it's very interesting that to see Australian politics now a little bit from afar. I watched Insiders this morning, mm. so that was really fun. Uh, we're mainly, I'm <laughs> trying to maintain our Sunday morning ritual of pancakes and Insiders, and I can do it now. I just have right. to watch it online. 
But that was really yes. fun. Well, through amazing technology, you can even watch it live these days. So Yeah, bad timing for us though. Amanda, what is your experience of family? Oh, wow. <laughs> Do you ask everybody this question? I ask a lot of people that question. It's I have a broad list. Not everybody gets the same questions. Oh, okay. Um, my experience of family, well, my, my immediate nuclear family at the moment consists of me and Adam and our two cats uh, who we Excellent. flew over to, wow. to L.A. Yeah, poor little things. But they're, they're happy now. This is a serious move, you guys relocating to LA. It's not just we're doing it for six weeks. Well, the problem is that we can't do it for six weeks because we wouldn't be able to leave our cats for six weeks. Otherwise, that would have been an option. Yes. So so it's one of those things that once you've got pet, I mean, children are transportable, but yes. cats are, you know, you really have to decide where you're going to be um, mm. one place or another. So because we wanted to... Have a have a crack at at um, yep. LA and and this whole industry here. We really we we couldn't just be based in Melbourne and make and make a lot of trips. We we actually had to come over and be here for a while. So um, we may go back again within the lifetime. I, I'm probably I'm quite sure we we will go back yes. um, within the lifetime of our cats. They might have to make that trip back again, but. Um, yeah, unfortunately, we couldn't just kind of. If you didn't have pets, it would be a whole different thing. We probably could have stayed in Melbourne and kept working there, and then just kept coming over for meetings and maybe stayed for like months or two months at a time. But we yes. we had to make a decision about that. So that's my immediate family. Um, but when mm-hmm. I think of family, I do I think of my my family, my sister and and um, my my mom and sister and and her kids as well. So. I, you know, I immediately go to the the outer family, I suppose, or the nuclear family from when I was a child. Which is lovely to to have those extensions and connections, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's 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 great, particularly since um, we don't have kids, and so we've got I've got we've got kids in our life through Rubbish. my nieces and nephew. You've got two cats. Got we've kids. got two cats. I don't call them kids. I mean. If they were if they were children, they would by now be going to school. They would be mm. so much less trouble. They would be going to school. They'd be talking to us. We could explain <laughs> things to them. But they yeah. are just they just hang around and and just you know follow us around the place and have cuddles and do all that. And they never change. They never learn anything. Mm. <laughs> do, have you given your cats? And I, I apologise if this is getting too personal. Have you given your cats <laughs> human names or are they more animal-style names? No, we've given them human names. We've given – well, but, once – I've given – so one was called – one's called Missy and one is called Casper, K-A-S-P-A-R, the German, because I like Casper's wire. I thought that was quite a cool name. <laughs> Even both. <laughs> I think you get away. That falls into that nice grey area in between, I think. Yeah, yeah, there used to be a truth in linguistics. One of the things you um, learned early on, and this is going back quite a few years now that I did it, but there there used to be a kind of algorithm which said that the the closer to being human 
the animal is, the less likely it would have an animal, a, a human name. So you might call your dog Rover, but you'll call mm. your fish George. So that, so yes. it was, so that used to be the case, but um, but I don't think that's the case. That's broken down a lot in the in the intervening oh. fifteen or twenty years since I learnt that little tidbit. But it's only broken down because celebrities call their kids Apple and Brooklyn. I totally agree that it broke down. It, the first sign of the the cracks in the whole system occurred when people started calling their kids interesting names. Interesting. Best yeah. <laughs> ever. What for you is a source of strength? Oh, well, that's easy. It's it's me- meditation, meditation yeah. and yoga, yeah. Um, I, and also, of course, my, my husband. But um, He's not listening. You don't have to add him in just because. <laughs> he might listen. In fact, he probably will. He's very lovely that way. But um, no... Uh, that if everything else in my life um, left me, I would always have meditation, and it's it becomes a kind of an infrastructure that it, it's it gradually sort of makes you stronger and stronger and stronger. And I've been doing it for years, so um, yes, it's it's something that you don't you don't need anything for to to practice it and. And then ultimately you, you don't need anything if you've been practising it long enough. <laughs> yes. So what does it deliver you above other things that makes it your go-to, you know, place to be? Well, it it gives me my sense of it – gives, it, it gives a true sort of self-confidence, I suppose, because you, you experience – the self um, as opposed to your persona or or the outward extension of yourself so you mm. yeah you, you experience a, a a disposition where you are completely fulfilled and I don't think that there's nothing there's nothing like that. I mean, there are drugs and and various you know rides and experiences that give you a state where they where you are completely absorbed. But then, as soon as those things finish, that state of mind and state of being finishes along with it. But with meditation, you that state of being and state of mind actually just continues to grow and expand, um, even when you're not meditating. Wow. Hmm. Meditation isn't something that I've done. How could I start? Well, I, I mean, what I did was I, I actually tried a few different ones, a few different meditations when mm. I first learned. And um, and then ultimately the one that stuck and the one that made most sense was actually TM, Transcendental Meditation, um, that yeah. I learned and I learned that quite a few years ago, and I happened to learn it from a guy who was also a doctor. So um, it was it was actually great because I I got I got half of the, the I was a poor student at the time, and I got half <laughs> yes. of it on uh, Medicare or what, <laughs> whatever. Half the um, so I I really didn't pay that much money for it, um, but it's 
Yeah, so that that's something that um, has well. Since then, I've done more techniques, and and I've ex- I've sort of expanded the that routine in my life a bit over the intervening years. But that's the one that I learned. Amanda, what's your favourite TV show? Um, I I would have to say Mad Men. I think yes. there there wasn't that really had, for me has absolutely everything it it had the the drama and and observation of of humans and it had comedy it, incredibly witty and I, it was one of those things that I would go into a deep hole when I was watching it and then and then it would suddenly it and then the credits would come up, or mm. actually, worse than that, that kind of pause, that, that yes. where you go into black and you go, oh my god, oh, oh my, it's finished, and it, it, it was, it's something that completely absorbed me, and so that, you know, it's, I, I really did love that show. First of all, correct. Uh, <laughs> secondly, <laughs> secondly, there is a lot to love about it, isn't there? I mean, everything from. The writing, the the performances, the style, the fact that they really set a whole new standard around uh, not not even just period drama, but the way that you dress a set to to become an extra player in, yeah. in the performance. It's just incredible. Yeah, and the layers, the layers. So mm. I know I remember. Um, it's Matthew Weiner, isn't it? Yes. Um, talking about the fact that in any era, it's, you, obviously you're not, you didn't buy everything the year that the that you're in. You you have layers yes. which represent things that you might have bought or when you know you had when you were a child or whatever, and and so you're you're layering that into the art direction, and it just suddenly gives it a gives it a depth. Mm. There's so much to love about it now. Uh, in in the same vein, obviously you're someone that enjoyed Mad Men week to week on the whole. Are you a fan of the binge watch? Yeah, and in fact, we we did binge watch Mad Men, and yeah. we had to. We we couldn't bear doing it week to week, so we would just uh, say we'd record them, and we'd save oh, wow. up, and then every few week, and then there'd be a media blackout. And then every few weeks we would ha- do three or four in a row and catch up, and then so so basically we would we would watch three or four in um, in one sitting, or maybe we'd watch you know one a night each night in you know for three or four nights, and that way because I, we just found just watching one mm. a week, I that that's like being drip fed you know heroin or something. It's it's just well that that makes it sound really bad but you know just getting a tiny little bit of it and then you know nothing for a week I, that would be torture the first one's always free amanda <laughs> it's interesting because I, I i'm i'm consumed by television that's i think a known fact uh and don't mind a good binge but i do find that there are some shows like your Mad Men's and even your, your Breaking Bad's, Better Call Saul's, House of Cards, those kind of things. You can sit down and watch them from an achievement point of view. Yes, Tick, I have watched the new season of House of Cards. Mm. However, 
to have those moments where you go, I'll watch one or two, maybe even three, push it to four in a sitting. But I think then just to have the time to go, I need to stop and process what I've just seen and possibly even talk about it with someone that, that has watched it with me or has gone through the, you know, a bit of that same process because the way the mm. writing is built, and I know that Netflix writing is different to say your week to week serialized television drama, but there's just so much in all of this good stuff these days that to like, if you were to say to someone, Hey, I think you should watch season one of true detective. If they were to sit down and binge watch all 10 episodes of that, they're going to miss so much. Mm. Yeah, you're right. I mean, and that's actually one of the lessons of meditation that, that the way, <laughs> the way meditation works is that you, well, and now I'm going to go to another analogy is say, say mm. you want to die a, a dye a white cloth yellow you'll you'll you dip the white cloth in the yellow dye and then you might and then you take it out and you let the sun dry it and then you dip it again and then you you do it and that's how it, it's the taking it out and letting it dry that actually stabilizes mm. the color and so I suppose what you're saying and and with the meditation that's that you go in and out of activity so you meditate then you come back into activity and and gradually that that feeling of being is stabilized through, throughout mm-hmm. when you're active as well. But um, with uh, so it's the same with TV watching. I see what you're saying that if you just watch one episode, you, you kind of dip into that world and you see the episode and then you've got um, time to really process everything you've seen and enjoy and savour everything that you've seen before you watch the next one, whereas if you binge watch it, you really don't get that experience. To do as you and Adam did, to watch three or four episodes at once, at least to that end gives you guys the benefit of then together reflecting on that and talking at oh, what about when Don did this or oh, the Peggy thing or the something that happened with Joan, all of those things can be uh, flushed out in the course of, you know, but between now and the next time we press play, though I will offer that you guys have far better discipline than I to have them recorded over a <laughs> three or four week period. It would, Oh, it would do me in. I would have to go, darling, we need to watch one of these now. This has to happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing is that we're often working and we're really busy. So we, I mean, not, I mean, you're, you're incredibly busy as well, but we actually don't get necessarily a chance to, to watch things. And, and we often watch things around meal times. So if we're mm. working at home, we'll have lunch and we'll try and knock off, you know, something a half hour or something at lunch and then, and then at dinner. So we, we, um, and apart from that, we, we, we're always, um, either writing or yeah, doing something or, you know, if, and, or else we're in production. Yeah. Well, how is the American crack going? Well, it's it's just a you know very fine kind of spider line at the moment. There's there's uh, I haven't I, I've got well I've got my representation and so is Adam. He's got his, mm. and um, well, I'm just starting to go out do meetings. We we did have lowdown was was um, optioned by a company. I'm actually not mm. sure where that is at the moment. So um, we'll. We'll follow up where they are with that. I mean, I I don't. Yes, we'll we'll follow up where we are with that, and um and so I'm writing and just having meetings. So it's really just the beginning of this process. Is, I mean, you you guys have been coming backwards and forwards to LA for a while now. So the meetings idea isn't anything that's new to you. 
but is the Hollywood machine everything that we perceive from what the media has presented to us? Um, I have found the meetings to be really enjoyable and mm-hmm. I haven't had any of those meetings where it's been a panel of people, but maybe I haven't got far enough um, up that food chain. I, I, actually, when we were pitching Lowdown, the most people that we ever pitched to was, I think, four people. But there was Adam and I were pitching and then the the um, studio – so it was quite a large room actually. So so we had Adam Adam and I were pitching. We had the producers, the studio, and um, Adam's agent also came along to the pitches. So that you know there would be a room full of maybe up to ten people. But um, so that was the largest sort of meetings that we've had. And apart from that, my meetings when I've met with people, producers or network people, there's usually only been yes. one or two to people there and I've found them really enjoyable and I'm I'm at an age where a lot of the executives I'm meeting are about my age and so I feel like that we it, it's kind of easy to have you you feel sort of <laughs> that you resonate you you have a similar maybe history even though you've been in two grown up in two different countries and um mm. you it's I've, I've found them easy and enjoyable and, I mean, some are some you really connect with people better than others, obviously, but uh, I've, I've enjoyed most of the meetings. But I also, yeah, even when I was getting representation things, they, it was only ever one or two people I was, I was meeting with. Is it much different to pitching in Australia? Yeah, I think, I think it is. I, I think it is in the sense that it's it is an industry here, meaning that there are really there are set protocols and set procedures and set times of the year that you do it, mm-hmm. and um, and so you, you you are pitching to people, and you are you see the people who just walked out of the meeting. And just pitch their idea when you go in, and then when you come out of the room, you see the next lot of people who are waiting to go in. It's it, it is Gosh. almost a little bit more like actors going for auditions for for roles. The whole pitching mm. thing, pitching to networks. Well, when they present it like that kind of machine, is it any surprise that we keep getting so many same same things on our television? Yeah, I think it has a has a twofold effect on the one hand they are incredibly um astute at unpacking an idea at seeing how many uh episodes or series that this Mm -hmm. idea could possibly um bear and and also being pitched that many shows yeah they they just become very astute at figuring out what's going to work and what's not but i suppose the the downside of that, the other side of that coin, is that maybe it, what happens is that ruts do develop. It, you know, people do kind of gravitate towards a certain thing, and and then and then they recognise that, and then they latch onto that, and maybe uh, I don't know. Uh, but I have to say, uh, the the comedies because I'm actually I'm mostly in the comedy world here, and the comedies sure. that I've seen in America and the 
pilot scripts that I've read and, and seen, they are really diverse, both on network and cable, and and most of them are, I think are really great. We are in a an interesting time from a sitcom perspective when we look at American television because we have, I, I guess if we put into account things like Blackish, Fresh Off the Boat, Modern Family, uh, and Big Bang Theory as mm. four very different but also four extremely different topics that to focus a sitcom around. You would never have had uh, a, you know, a gay couple with child in a sitcom, mm. I'm going to say, even 10 years ago. You would never have made a sitcom about nerds 10, 15 years ago. Uh, mm. Having a sitcom about an, an immigrant Asian family ever, I don't think we've ever seen that in America. Mm. And short of Sanford and Son and The Cosby Show, for something like Blackish, which is, uh, you know, dad's an idiot and everyone else is smart, um, that in itself is kind of new as well. So it's, it's a crazy time. Just please no more. Don't, don't get in bed with Chuck Lorre, please. That's all I ask. Don't get in bed with <laughs> No, I have, I have um, been very standing very close to Chuck Lorre uh, at one point, and I look. I have to say, I I think Mom is a a great show. I've only seen the pilot and maybe a couple of other episodes, but I thought that was great. I thought the pilot was fantastic, and you've got to. I take my hat off to him. He knows how to make a oh, a, a sitcom. Like to a demo. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's the thing with so many Laurie productions now, both under his belt and in production. This is a guy who is as much as some of his stuff can be derivative, is at, at the top of his game because he knows how to write to a demographic and that is exactly what networks are after, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, I think, uh, look, uh, he's he's probably had misfires, I, I don't know, but um, I was really impressed with Mom. I thought it, thought it was great. But Alice Janney's fantastic. Oh, anyway. I thought she was really wasted in it. Oh, really? Well, she was yeah. literally wasted a lot of the time. I mean, not literally, but <laughs> playing somebody who was wasted. Yes. Oh, mm. Look, the, the Alice and Janney fan club podcast, that can be later. <laughs> yeah. What are you going to achieve in the next 12 months? Well, this is what's so amazing. I, I have no idea. I do not have a clue. And so it's a funny, you know, time to ask that question because it I really don't know, but what I do know is whatever, it, it, you know, if I, I have the potential to achieve things here that I probably don't have the same potential in Australia necessarily, but on the other hand, uh, you know, there, I could end up coming back to Australia without getting any work or getting a show up, so that's the risk you always take. So um, it's a very interesting kind of space to be in at the moment. Or you could get seven up, Laurie style. Well, yeah, uh, yes, for sure. I, I will not rule that out. Let's hope for some nice me- intermediate amount. Yeah, I think so. That that would be good. Excellent. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for the chance to chat with you today. Uh, please know that the things that you said are very special, and and that you're a highly valued person. Thank you so much. Thank you, Steve. It was really lovely to chat to you. It's very enjoyable to to chat with your good self and to learn so much about the doctor. <laughs> Amanda, are there any we obviously you're on Twitter. Are there any other social accounts that you want to admit to? Uh 
Uh, I would just Instagram really, but I've only just mm-hmm. I've only just sort of started that, and I've be, and I really should do it more. But because um, ph- photography has always been an absolute passion of mine, I love taking photos, and yes. um, so I started on Instagram, but I came to it quite late, um, and so. Yes, I haven't really got – I haven't quite got my community there yet, but um, but I do I do enjoy Instagram and Twitter. I should I should play in those communities a little bit more. I I tend to Adam's. I have to say that's one thing. Adam is well one of the many things. Adam is much better at me at um, just keeping grooming all the the social media things just well grooming mm. that's a very bad word to use <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was I mean, just thinking that wow <laughs> yeah well you know what i mean he's he's a te- he tends to them he tends to them and he you know he thinks he thinks about those things whereas i'm a little bit in my own head and in my own world and i and i go oh gee i should have should have tweeted about that or or instagram that and i and i don't i'm not as I've, you know, I'm not as attentive to it as I should be. But I really enjoy, I do get on there and I do enjoy seeing other people's stuff. There, there is a lot to be said, though, for living the moment rather than seeing it through a screen, isn't there? Yeah, for sure, for sure. I I, I do think that. I, I think you, you kind of go through phases of um, social media and then, and I think when you're in that, thing of sharing on social media what you're doing that's that's a really nice phase to go through and then you might kind of just pull back a little bit and start to be much more in your own world a little bit and then you might go out a bit yeah it's it's something it doesn't have to be the same all the time my, my only advice when it comes to instagram amanda cats food you'll win <laughs> well it's funny you should say that because the last thing i did was uh an instagram of a cat in a pantry. So uh, I clearly I, I've got the uh, I got the quinella. People tune in. It's a winner. Go and get on Amanda Brocci's Instagram. It has everything. <laughs> Cats and food. This has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at Amanda Brocci is indeed human. Thank you. I can confirm that too.